him today. Let's go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bible and open up to John chapter 4. We want to see Jesus today. Be the kind of people who, who place ourselves in submission, who bow to that Jesus. John chapter 4, just picking up from last week. Jesus is in Samaria. Last week, Pastor Nate shared a 700 years 700 years of, of prejudice, of hatred that's been building between the Samaritans and the Jews. I mean, these are bitter enemies. They do not like each other. The Jews, they, they would take the long way around the region of Samaria. I mean, they would add miles to their trip, hours to their journey, just so they don't even have to step foot in the region of Samaria. For Jesus, things are escalating, right? Things are escalating in his homeland. Pharisees are upset. Pharisees are always upset. There's tension with Jesus. Tension is rising. He's gaining attention. I mean, everyone is watching. And Jesus says, my, my time has not yet come. So Jesus goes to Samaria. He's in a place he probably shouldn't be. He's, he's around people, surrounded by people he probably shouldn't be with. He's, he's now talking with a woman alone in the middle of the day, a woman he, he really should probably not be talking with. I mean, everything about this passage just appears wrong. Get a running start from last week. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Well, why did they believe? Well, because of the woman's testimony. Verse 41. And, and many more believed. Why? Why did they believe? Because of his word, because of Jesus' word, the word that he spoke to them. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. Why? What's the reason? Why do they believe? For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, faith is how you respond before you see results. And I'm going to be pressing this point into us, driving this home over and over this morning, that faith, faith is how you respond before you see results. Jesus here in Samaria, he didn't perform any miracles. There's, there's nothing spectacular, no wonders, no signs. There's no evidence, no proof. All that happened, it started with one conversation. One conversation with, a, with an unlikely woman, an incredible Uncredible, not incredible, an uncredible, not credible witness, a bad testimony. She's not faithful, and yet people believed. And they heard the words of Jesus, even more believed. See, this is why Jesus went to Samaria, right? This is why he went. Jesus, he's, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher with his disciples. This is like a field trip that Jesus takes his boys, he takes his disciples to Samaria because he wants them to believe. He wants them to, to see the belief of others, not based on what he does, but based on who he is. This is what it truly means to believe in Jesus. Verse 43, and after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen, right, that's, that's huge, that's key, having seen all that Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So Jesus returns home. He, he goes back to his homeland, family, friends, and it says everyone welcomed him. Why? Why did everyone welcome him? Because they saw the first miracle. They, they had seen all that he had done at the feast. When, when Jesus was at the wedding, John chapter 2 turned water into wine. They had seen this. Go back to John 2. 
right? Jesus turns six water jars into wine. The passage there in the Bible says that, that each water jar, I mean, it held 20 to 30 gallons, right? Six jars, let's just take the average, take the middle, six jars times 25 gallons, that's 150 gallons of wine. And this is a refill. <laughs> they already ran out. I mean, we're talking 300 gallons of wine. I mean, this, this is a party, right? This is a lot of wine, and this must be a lot of people. These are the people who are now welcoming Jesus. There were a lot of people here at this feast, at this wedding. They, they had seen what Jesus had done. Jesus did one miracle, and they want to know, can he do it again? How many miracles in Samaria? Zero. The whole town believed. They said, this is the Savior of the world. But now Jesus is home. Expectations are high. Suspicions are even higher Everyone's watching, all eyes on Jesus. They want to see who he is. Healing number one, the son of a desperate dad. Look at verse 46. And so he, so, so Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come down from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and, and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So John gives us some details here that there's this, this official, this man, he's, he's a man of power. He's a man of influence. He's a man often with, with control. He, he's the one who's in the room, who's, who's in charge of the situation. He got what he wanted. He made the decisions. But now his son is sick. John says his son is sick to the, to the point of, of death. He's, he's dying. And so this dad is desperate. I mean, this, this dad will do anything for his son. So he hears this rumor. It's not his hometown. John makes that clear. He's, he's traveling from Capernaum to Canaan, 20 miles away. He's searching for Jesus. He leaves the bedside of his dying son to go find Jesus. I mean, parents, you would do the same thing. You would do the same thing. If, if there's a situation that's out of your control, you can't stop it, you can't fix it. If your child is dying, you would do the exact same thing. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I hear this rumor of this man, this guy named Jesus at this wedding, he turned water into wine. I mean, if he can do that, maybe, maybe he can heal my son. Verse 48, so, so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Where's the compassion, Jesus? I mean, this, this is a hurting father. Jesus isn't being harsh. The word you here is, is plural. Jesus isn't saying this to the desperate dad. He is saying this as a rebuke to the rest of the crowd here in his homeland. Remember the context. Right? Samaritans, they had zero miracles, zero signs. And what did they do? They responded with belief. But here in his hometown, everyone is watching and the people want proof. Before they respond with faith, like they want to see the end result. Verse 49, the official said to him, so now Jesus, uh, the official said to, to him, to, to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. You see the persistence there. I mean, this dad is desperate. He is not giving up. This dad believes. Like, that's why he's here. He, he walked 20 miles just to be here. He left his son. There's no plan B. Like, this is it. 
Like, Jesus, I am here. I need you. Jesus, come with me. I have no other options. Jesus, please. I mean, he is here begging with Jesus. He wasn't at the wedding. He's not from this town. He has no evidence to go on other than he heard that Jesus did a miracle. Maybe he can do it again. He hears Jesus. He believes Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and it went on his way. Question, did this desperate dad get what he wanted? Did he get it? Well, yes and no. Yes, the end result, he has the faith, he believes that his son will be healed. That's what he wanted, but... Not the way he expected. He came to Jesus that Jesus would come with him, right? That Jesus would go back with him. I mean, that's faith. That's a big ask. Jesus, hey, come with me 20 miles away. Hey, I need two days of your time. Will you come with me? I need you to see my son. I need you to heal my son. If you are in the room with my son, what does Jesus say? Go. His dad, has a, he's got a choice to make. What do you do? This, this isn't really what I came for. I believe Jesus. I believe you can heal my son, but it's a long way home. What if I get home and my son is still sick? What if I get home and even worse, what if he's dead? There's no way to know. There's no way to 100% know unless I turn around, Jesus says go, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to start walking, and I have no way to know until I get home if the word that Jesus spoke is absolutely true. He doesn't argue. He doesn't beg. He doesn't insist. He doesn't persuade. He doesn't make a deal. He doesn't even pray about it. What does he do? Okay. He starts walking home. See, faith Faith is, is hearing before seeing. That's the context here. That's the context and the contrast between the Samaritans and the Jews. It's hearing before seeing. Faith is, I trust what God says. Even when I don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't really get what I want, I didn't get what I came for, even when the risk is huge, his son's life is on the line. I choose to trust. See, faith, faith is how you respond before you see the result. Verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son's recovering. So we asked him the hour when, when he began, when his son began to get better. And they said to him yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew <laughs> the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. John makes this so clear, so clear. This is not a coincidence. I mean, this son did not heal himself. This fever did not just leave on its own. He didn't recover on his own like Jesus did this. Yesterday, 
20 miles away, when Jesus said, your son will live, the dad believed, and somehow the fever left. But one thing's missing. One thing's missing. This dad came to Jesus. I mean, he, he got the end result. He got what he wanted. But he missed Jesus. This is the moment. This is his chance. See, it's so easy to run to God when we're desperate, right? We know this. It's so easy to, to run to the Lord when we feel helpless, when we feel just, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need something outside of me. I need your help. I can't change this. I can't control this, Lord. I can't do this, Lord. It's so easy to run to the Lord with tears in her eyes, to get down on her knees and to beg in that moment. The end result, yeah, he got what he wanted, and yeah, he believed. He had an incredible faith. But he missed Jesus. He was more about worshiping the health of his son than than worshiping the Messiah. This is his moment face to face with Jesus. And yes, he believed. And yes, he obeyed. But he missed Jesus. Maybe right now, someone in this room, you, you feel desperate. There's something in your life you, you can't fix. You're not in control. You cannot change it. Maybe you've recently been in tears, begging the Lord to show up, asking, pleading for him to step in on your behalf and help. And this, this passage, it shows us anything is possible. It does. Anything is possible, but we can't miss Jesus. See, faith says that, that no matter what happens, Lord, I trust you. And Jesus, I'm clinging to you. Jesus, you're all that I need. All you have to do is say the word and you can deliver me. You can deliver me this very hour, but I trust you. And I trust you with the end result. My response, what am I responsible for? Faith belief, regardless of the result, regardless of what happens, I believe. Healing number one, son of the desperate dad. Healing number two, the legs of a defeated man. Chapter five. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there's in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has a five-roof colonnades. And in these uh, colonnades, uh, in this, this, this pool, uh, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. There's a feast happening here in Jerusalem. That means there's thousands of people are, are making their pilgrimage. Jews are, are devout and are, are pursuing Jesus. They are, pers- they are pursuing uh, this feast. They are pursuing the entrance here in this temple. And by this gate, there's this pool surrounding the pool, there are people who are hurting, who are sick, suffering, diseased, lame, paralyzed. And all day long, these, these people, are, these, these Jews are, are pouring through this entrance, this city gate, going to the temple. I mean, these, these are the religious people. Like, these are the holy people. These are the church people. All day long, they're walking on this sidewalk right past this pool. And all along this pool, there are just all of these people who are sick and hurting, suffering, five feet away on the sidewalk. They don't even stop. These are supposed to be the church people. You know what it's like, right? I mean, avoid eye contact. Try to get to the destination. Walk right by. 
Nobody sees him. Nobody stops. Verse 5, Jesus does what nobody else will do. Verse 5, one man who was there, who had been there, an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and, and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus sees him. Jesus stops. He said to him, do you want to be healed? 38 years. 38 years. That's longer than Jesus has been alive. This is this man's entire lifetime without his legs. 38 years being pinned to this mat, unable to walk, dragging himself, clawing himself through life with his hands. 38 years staring at the legs of these people just on the sidewalk five feet away, just walking right by. 38 years of this this sadness, maybe this bitterness, probably anger, just whelming up, just growing. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't fair. Jesus sees this man. He stops. Do you want to be healed. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one. I have no one to to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and and while I'm going, another steps down before me. It's a strange answer. It's an odd answer. You have a footnote probably in your Bible in verse 4 that gives a little bit of a a background on this, on this pool. And the reason that the people who are diseased and hurt and sick and suffering were gathered around this pool, the the, the thought, uh, the belief was that bubbles would, would come up from this pool. The angels would swoop down, stir up the waters, and that these bubbles would come up from the pool. And, and whoever was the first person to jump into that pool with the bubbles would be healed from their sickness. The myth was whoever is in first, whoever jumps first, whoever touches the bubbles, somehow is, is magically healed from their sickness. So the lime, the, blame, uh, the, the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, the hurting, the sick, the disease would, would gather around this pool. Just staring at this pool, just every day, just waiting for these bubbles to happen. This man, his, his legs don't work. But that's not the problem. He, he says, but I don't have anybody to help me. I don't have anybody to, to help me get into the pool. So, so no matter how hard I try, every time I see bubbles, somebody else just jumps over me. Somebody else jumps, jumps past me. Like, I'm always late. I'm always last. I'm, I'm always losing. I can never get it. I can't make it. Last night, six o'clock, Danville Championship Conference sixth grade football game. We won it last year. We're running it back. We want to be two times conference champs, fifth grade, sixth grade. We've got a good team. We've only lost one game. Brownsburg. We should have beat Brownsburg. Too many turnovers. Beat ourselves. We knew what to do. Watched film. We knew what to do. Key in on three players, number two, 11, 21. Go where 21 goes, he takes you to the ball. Watched film. We knew the scheme. We knew the directions. We had a great week of practice. I mean, these boys were ready. 34, 14, we lost. We just got beat every play, both sides of the ball, offense, defense. Nobody likes losing. As a coach, you're trying to always find highlights, right? You're trying to, like, find those small wins, those small victories, right? 
Asa, that was such a good kick. That was the best onside kick that we recovered I've ever seen. Had, and he ran like a beast, 70-yard touchdown. I think 12 people tried to tackle you, bumper cars. All the way. But losing stinks. There's nothing good about losing. There's nothing good about losing. And you take all of that for this man, this, this lame man who's been losing every day of his life. Every day he's being passed by. Every day he's being jumped over. Every day he's jumping in this pool hoping that somebody's going to pull him out before he drowns. He's losing every single day. In his mind, the problem isn't that his legs don't work. The problem, he's alone. There's nobody here to help me. They're on the sidewalk five feet away just walking by me. Nobody sees me. Nobody stops. Nobody cares. 38 years has beaten this man down. He is defeated. And now he sees the bubbles, doesn't even try. Just lays there. Doesn't even try. I mean, he's, he's completely given up. Jesus asks the obvious question, do you want to be healed? He doesn't even answer the question. 38 years, he's, he's grown bitter, angry. 38 years of blaming others, judging others. Excuses has filled his mind that nobody will help me. He doesn't even answer the question. Jesus said to him, verse 8, get up. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed. And he took up his bed, and he walked. There's no rehab, no physical therapy. Jesus just says it, and this man stands up, and he's strong enough to carry out his mat and walk. I mean, this, this mat isn't just his bed. I mean, this mat has been his world for the last 38 years. This is all that he knows. He's been stuck on this thing, and now... Picks it up. He's strong enough to carry it out. Faith is how we respond, regardless of the result, before we see the result. What was his first response? This man, what was his first response? Do you want to be healed? He didn't believe. He blamed. He didn't even answer the question. It's so easy for us to complain. It's so easy for us to, to make excuses to shift the blame on others when, when life doesn't go our way. It's, it's so easy to be critical and to, to judge others who are walking by when they could help, but they don't help, they don't stop, they don't see. After years and years and years of losing, it's so easy to stay down, to give up, stop trying. So what does Jesus say? Get up. He doesn't say, your legs are healed. He says, get up. Like it's time for you to stand up on your own two feet. Stop blaming others. Stop the excuses. Stop complaining. See, faith isn't just believing. Faith isn't just trusting. Faith isn't just depending. Faith is ownership. It's ownership. The God can't make you believe. He can't force you. You have to believe. That's the point of faith. You have to have faith. You have to take ownership. This man, he's in the right place at the right time, and Jesus does everything. The healing is all Jesus. Jesus initiates. Jesus comes. 
but it's on us. How do we respond? Faith doesn't make excuses. Faith doesn't blame others. Faith doesn't complain about circumstances. Faith doesn't grow bitter and become angry. When, when life is hard and I just want to lay down, I just want to roll over, I just want to quit and give up, Jesus says, get up. Don't stay there. It's time to move on. Faith is how we respond before we see the result. Look at the end of verse 9. Now, that day was the Sabbath. This just got interesting, right? I mean, don't you just sense sometimes that, that Jesus is just trying to create some controversy with the Pharisees? I mean, last week, Pastor Nate said he's just, he's just poking the bear. Jesus is an agitator. He's just stirring up trouble. He's just instigating some, some trouble to Pharisees. And, and John, John often writes in these different layers. There's there stories within the story. The disciples went to Samaria Zero miracles. Jesus wants his disciples to believe in him and his word. He wants to see true meaning of faith. This, this desperate dad comes to, to Jesus, and Jesus first rebukes the crowds for their lack of faith before he heals the son of the official for his faith. Jesus heals the legs of this, this lame man, but, but he does this on the Sabbath. He's challenging the authority. He's pushing the rules of the Pharisees. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man, this is the same man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, uh, the, man, the, the, the man who healed me, uh, that man who said take up your, your bed and walk, they asked him, who, who, is, who is the man who said to you take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed didn't, didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in this place. Don't you just want to smack the Pharisees sometimes? <laughs> Do you see how quick this man is to shift the blame on Jesus? It's not my fault when he's confronted by the Pharisees walking with his mat. It's, it's not my fault. I, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just doing what I was told. It, it, it was that man, that, that man who healed me, that man who, who said, take up your bed and walk. It, he doesn't even know Jesus' name. He missed Jesus. What's the Pharisees' problem here? Like, well, what's their problem? What, what's, what's wrong with these guys? Why are they mad? Sabbath goes back to the Old Testament, the fourth commandment, right? That one day a week that we were to set it apart, to make it holy, that in Six days that God created, seventh day, God rested. That's a rhythm, that's a principle for our life that we are to set apart one day, resting, trusting that the Lord will provide, making this day unlike and different from the rest of the week. So the Old Testament forbids work on one day of the week. And the work was, was defined by, by what you do, your, your vocation, your job. It's what you do the, the six days of the week. So if you're a farmer, you should rest from farming on one day of the week and, and trust that the Lord will provide. Bankers should not bank. Bricklayers should not lay bricks. Teachers should not teach. The problem is Pharisees, they, they took this, this principle, they, they, they took this command and, and they created 39 categories of work. They redefined the terms of work. And so according to the rules of the Pharisees, nobody was allowed to carry anything from house to house on the Sabbath. And so by their definition, by their terms, 
this man was breaking the Sabbath law. But that's not what the Old Testament had in mind. This wasn't his work. This wasn't his vocation. He didn't carry mats from house to house six days a week. That's not what he did, right? So for, for somebody who, who would have worked for Amazon, right? Somebody who works for Amazon door-to-door back then, delivering packages house to house, like they're doing this six days a week. They, they should not do that on the seventh day. For them, that would be breaking the Old Testament command of, of the Sabbath. But this isn't his full-time job. So the Pharisees, they jump all over this guy because they recategorized, created new terms, new definitions, applying new rules to the Sabbath. Verse 14, and afterwards... Uh, Jesus found him, this is the same man, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Of all the miracles, of all the, the healings in the Gospels, this, this is the one where, where Jesus heals someone and then he follows up with them in his second conversation later on. Why? He heals him at the pool. Why, why does Jesus follow up with him at the temple? This man laid at the pool for 38 years. 38 years of bitterness. Just anger. 38 years of, of excuses just filling his mind, blaming others. Nobody stops to help. Nobody sees me. One day, Jesus stop, stops. Jesus sees him. Jesus tells him, get up and walk. His legs work. And he's walking by, and the Pharisees then confront him. And, and how does he respond? What does he say right away? How does he respond? He blames Jesus. It's not my fault. The, the man who healed me, that, that man told me, take up my bed and walk. See what's happening? That, that Jesus heals his legs. His heart's still broken. He acts the same. He responds the same way that he has for years of this, this pattern of just excuses and blaming others and, and just not taking any ownership. Jesus finds him and sees him in the temple and says, hey, I, I see you're well. Your, your legs are working. You are standing. You're walking around. And then he says, sin no more. He gives him this warning that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus knew his heart never changed. It didn't change. Look what happens next, 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. Totally misses it. Straight to the Pharisees, rats out Jesus. Both times, two conversations, two times Jesus approaches this man. And both times, how does he respond? Complaining, blaming, excuses. It's his anger. It's his bitterness in his heart. His legs work. His heart's still broken. Verse 16, and, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. More on that to come in the following week, just with the authority of Jesus challenging the Pharisees. We read a passage like this on the miraculous, on the healings, on miracles. How do we apply this? What, what do we do with this? How, how does this actually change the way that we live this week? Two ways. I'm going to start with the desperate dad. 
His son's life is on the line. He's searching for Jesus. He finds Jesus, but his son is 20 miles away. He goes to Jesus. He, he believes. What does he actually do? Other than just belief, what does he actually physically do? He turns around and he starts walking. And he starts going home. He heard the word. He obeyed the word. Go. And he went. He starts walking home. See, faith is, is taking that first step, right? That first step is the hardest step. When all we have is, is the word of God. And we, we come to this searching. We come to this hurting. We come to this desperate. And this is all that we got. It takes the faith to believe. I'm sure this dad, I'm sure he had questions. How is this even possible? I'm sure he was afraid. What if it doesn't work? I mean, this doesn't even make sense. That's the point of miracles. This is supernatural. He believed. So he turned around, started walking. Church, we may not know the end result. The reality is we often don't know the end result. But our response is taking that first step. Our response, what we are actually responsible for, is taking that first step of faith. That we are trusting the word. That we are trusting the Lord. And our obedience is taking that first step. It's not just believing, it's then obeying and taking that first step. Step. That's our response. The Lord determines the results, not us. We're responsible for how we respond. And so we take that first step. The lame man, I, mean, I can't imagine 38 years, 38 years pinned to this mat. I, I get it. I know why he's bitter. I know why he feels defeated. Losing every day, failing every day, being pulled out of the water, hoping somebody will see you. He can't swim over and over and over, pass by. Sometimes life just bears down on us. And before we can even take that first step, we have to get up. Faith is getting up. Faith is, is taking ownership. Faith is responding with courage. I mean, it's so easy to make excuses. It's so easy to blame others. It's so easy to, to judge and be critical and not accept responsibility, but, but Jesus says, get up. See, responding with faith means that it's, it's time. It's time to get up. It's time to make some changes. It's time to let go of the past, let go of the things that are, that are just bearing down on you, weighing down on you. It's time to move on. It's time to break the bad habits. It's time to change the thinking, to stop the excuses, to stop blaming others. God is sovereign. We live in a broken world. Life's hard. But we are still responsible. When the result is not what I want, faith doesn't stop. Faith doesn't give up. 
Faith doesn't quit. Faith doesn't roll over. Faith isn't defeated. Faith can't be defeated. We know that from the resurrection. That is our hope. We know how the story ends. Faith can't be defeated, so faith digs in. Faith gets up. See, faith takes ownership, and it says, okay, God, I don't want it. It hurts. This isn't what I had in mind. I didn't choose this, but I can choose to trust. I can choose to believe. More than just believing, more than just trusting, more than just depending, faith is ownership. It's taking the ownership. It's taking the responsibility that God, God is taking me somewhere, that he does have a plan, and I'm going to have the courage to believe the end result, even when I can't see it. Faith is how we respond because we know he determines the results. So John writes these things, not just his words on the page. He writes these things, yes, so that we would be amazed by Jesus and see Jesus, but he writes these things to press them into our life, that this would change how we live. Because Jesus has come to give us life. This is how we live. Let's pray. Jesus, we do need you. Not just in the moments of desperation, not, not just when our world is filled in pain, but Lord, we, we need you now. Lord, we needed you yesterday. We need you today and tomorrow. Lord, we need you. Lord, we, we need you in our life because it's not about us trying harder. It's not about us doing better. It's not about us trying for more. Like, Lord, all the striving, Lord, it, it's never enough. Lord, we need you in our life. Lord, you are the one who brings true healing. Lord, you are the one who, who delivers with your promises. That you promise a good result. Lord, even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, Lord, even when it just seems so far out of reach and so far away, Lord, that you are with us, so we respond with a faith. We respond with a belief. We respond with this, this courage, not in ourselves, but in you. You are who you say you are. And so we trust what you've done. Lord, we believe in you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we run to you. Meet us, Jesus. We need you.